The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a political analyst for WGN-TV and radio in Chicago, and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C. You can read my take on the presidential race in The Hill every Monday. Just Google muckrack.com front slash Brad Dash Bannon. That's muckrack.com, front slash Brad Dash Bannon. My new contribution to the Hill is my take on the end game for Donald Trump's impeachment. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for and designs research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to Facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon. Our guest in this first half hour is Deborah Weinstein, Executive Director of the Coalition on Human Needs. She'll discuss the Trump administration's plans to cut funding for nutritional assistance for poor families. In the second half hour, we'll discuss presidential politics with our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, call us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-653. 7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today in the first half hour of the show. Inquiring minds want to know Do you think it's fair for the Trump administration to cut food assistance funding to poor and disabled people? Two, where do you think the money necessary to maintain the social safety net should come from? Third and finally, Do you think the Democratic presidential candidates are adequately addressing the problems of poor people in America? Our guest in this half half hour is Deborah Weinstein, Executive Director of the Coalition on Human Needs. The Coalition is an alliance of national organizations working together to promote policies which address the needs of low-income and vulnerable people. Welcome to Deadline DC, Deborah. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks very much for having me. Uh, let's start out with something basic. Could you tell our listeners what the, sub, the so-called SNAP program is, Supplemental Nutritional Assistance, uh, 
please explain what the program is to, to our listeners. Sure. Uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, uh, is the new name, relatively new, for the uh, program that used to be known as food stamps. So it, it brings cash, uh, excuse me, cash-like uh, amount through debit cards that are uh, available to low-income, uh, either families or individuals that qualify, and it will provide uh, for their ability to go to a store uh, and purchase food that they need. It's modest. Uh, it doesn't really uh, last a whole month, unfortunately, for most families, but it is a tremendously important uh, form of assistance that helps to stabilize uh, families and keep them from abject hunger. Uh, I'm kind of curious, how, how many of the uh, SNAP households have ch- young children in them? Well, the uh, majority of households do have children uh, uh, in the na- neighborhood of two-thirds. Uh, not all do, and the new cut that was just announced by the president particularly impacts single individuals uh, who don't have children uh, living in their household. They are extremely poor, and it really would be a cut hitting the poorest of the poor. Okay. uh, What exactly, uh, I think probably some of our listeners have read because it's been in the news in the last few days, uh, how does the Trump administration uh, want to cut the uh, SNAP program and what are those cut, the implications of those cuts? Well, this is part of a relentless attack on food assistance for low-income people that the Trump administration has engaged in from the first. Uh, This particular one would make it almost inevitable that uh, single individuals who aren't able to work 20 hours a week uh, will lose food stamps after, or SNAP, after a very short time limit. They'd only be eligible for three months of assistance over a three-year period. So when you're as low income as these people are, their incomes average only about $2,100 a year, uh, and they have problems uh, that may involve um, ill health or mental uh, health issues or substance abuse problems. Uh, they they don't earn much, but they try to work. But if they can't work the 20 hours a week that this calls for, they will lose assistance after a very short period of time. Uh, and the other part of this is that the administration is denying states the right to decide whether they really think that there are enough jobs available for people in this situation, and therefore, uh, if they don't think that, would exempt them from the uh, very short time limit. And 
this is a tremendous unfairness uh, and kind of counter to the usual uh, Republican uh, talking points, which are, you know, give states flexibility to decide what's best. In this instance, the Trump administration is telling them what to do. Okay, Uh, we're going to go to break. Uh, But when we get back from our break, we'll have more with Deborah Weinstein, Executive Director of the Coalition of Human Needs, uh, talking about the SNAP uh, Food Assistance Program. We'll be back after these messages. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. The Trump administration announced today it is going forward with a plan to kick nearly 700,000 people off of food stamps. The administration formalizing a rule that makes it harder for states to waive federal standards around who can qualify for the food stamp program, which is now known as SNAP. On a call with reporters today, Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue said the change was designed to both save money and, quote, restore the dignity of work to food stamp recipients. What it boils down to is the government saying that in many areas, if you cannot find a job, then you just can't get food stamps. The USDA says the work requirement rule would save the government $5.5 billion over five years. That is a bit more than a billion dollars a year. Just for context here, the Trump administration has authorized $16 billion this year alone to make welfare payments to agribusiness affected by Trump's trade war. The rule announced today represents just one phase of Trump's planned cuts for the nation's 36.4 million food stamp recipients. If and when two other initiatives take effect, the Urban Institute, which studies this sort of thing, estimates the measures would together cut 3.7 million beneficiaries from the SNAP program. Critics say this is a completely unnecessary attack on the poorest Americans and their ability to feed themselves. And joining me now is one of those critics, Democratic Senator Debbie Stabenow of Michigan, the top Democrat on the Senate Agriculture Committee. Senator, why do you uh, oppose this move by the administration? Well, Chris, first, I want to thank you for lifting this up. It's a busy day, a lot going on. I think they hoped it might slide by without a lot of attention. So thank you. Our analysis today actually shows, while they say it's 700,000, it's really closer to a million people. And what they are targeting are folks that are seasonal workers, part-time folks. Somebody goes out to the mall during the holidays and gets a job, but then the job goes away in January. Or a waitress or waiter that can't control their own wages. Or somebody in northern Michigan who is working part-time during the summer season, you know, or during the winter season. So it's people in and out of the economy, and they're tightening things up. And I have to say that they are rejecting what we did in the Farm Bill. On a bipartisan basis, we voted this policy down. And there are 47 of us that with a letter with Lisa Murkowski and myself who sent a letter to the USDA saying don't do this. And yet they are proceeding so, anyway. Okay, so that, that was going to be my next question. My understanding was that this was litigated in the farm bill. There was, was. There was a plan to write this into law and it failed. It didn't have political support. And in fact, what did have bipartisan political support for the farm bill that passed, that is what authorizes SNAP by the first branch of the United States government, Article right. 1 Congress, was not to do this. How can they then do it? 
Well, it's like everything else they're doing, you know, where we, we have to look for a way not to push back. Uh, you're right. In the Senate, it was totally rejected on a bipartisan basis. The final farm bill did not have this in it. But you know what it did have in it, by the way, is job training programs, which I really wish that they would implement. Because if we want to help lift people up, it's not by punishing them, by taking away what is an average of $161 a month. And so instead of doing that, we can lift people up and help them with, with job training. So we're, what we're figuring out now, uh, since they've proceeded, even though we uh, had all kinds of advocates, all of us that sent in letters saying, don't do this, then we have to determine if there's some other way we can stop this. There is a mechanism to block a rule that we're now looking at. Okay, that was uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow from Michigan. Uh, talking about the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program. Our guest in this half hour is Deborah Weinstein, Executive Director of the Coalition on Human Needs. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about this issue, uh, you can uh, check out the uh, Coalition's uh, Twitter feed, uh, at Coalition um, HN. That's Coalition HN. Uh, Deborah, I was doing a little quick, uh, arithmetic during the break and what we're talking about well I have two questions first of all we're talking about if you ber- break this down on a per diem uh, difference I'm breaking down $161 a month by 30 uh, that's not very much uh, money uh, per day to help feed someone and, you no, know, it just seems to me the Trump administration is. is playing Scrooge at Christmas here. Well, that's right. Uh, and I do think it's important to go back to what Senator Stabenow was just saying, uh, that if the purpose of this is to help people get employment, um, the way you do that is not just to deny them this most modest amount of subsistence that keeps them from uh, not having uh, any access to food at all. And and it's to give them job training uh, programs and other supports if their problem is a health issue or perhaps a substance use disorder problem, give them the support so that they can get treatment. Um, if, they, if, they're, if they have a health problem, the worst thing you can do is to take food away that is just going to make the health problem worse. But this administration offers no training to assist. It would simply deny them the assistance. Uh, And as Debbie Stabenow said, these are people who work when they can, uh, but their work may be very sporadic and seasonal, and they are not going to clock 20 hours of, of work each week, week in and week out. If they can't do that, they're just going to lose assistance. Yeah, I know this is a, a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. For these people who they're cutting benefits, what do they expect these people to do, starve? Well, of course, what they say is they expect them to suddenly find work. 
this is grossly unfair and unfeeling uh, and blind to what the reality is of a, a job market. That they're saying that people who, uh, about a third of whom have not completed high school, half of whom uh, have no more than high school, uh, there are African Americans who are disproportionately represented. Their unemployment is about twice, or in some instances more than twice, what the overall unemployment rate is. And that's not taken into account despite, you know, the impact of, you know, decades, generations of discrimination. And none of these things are taken into account. Did I uh, understand Senator Stabenow correctly when she said that the uh, Senate legislation prohibited the Trump administration from doing this and also that it established job training that the administration is ignoring? Yes. Well, what the uh, Farm Bill did, uh, there were proposals in the initial uh, versions of the Farm Bill that were proposed to include the kinds of cuts that the administration wants, and those cuts were all rejected. So they're certainly going against the intent of Congress. Uh, they are going against the Farm Bill, which said no to these kinds of cuts. Uh, you know, it will now be a matter of litigation, perhaps, or other congressional action to try to block this, uh, but it is clearly against the intent of Congress. Uh, in terms of the job training, uh, there's uh, precious little of it, even with what was included in the Farm Bill, uh, and we're not seeing uh, most states implement any kind of training or other supports for people in this situation. This just seems to me another example of a rogue administration just completely ignoring uh, the will of Congress. Uh, it also seems to me they probably are going to end up using some of this money they're going to save and building a wall on the Mexican border that no one needs or wants. Uh, uh, Deborah, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, this is a very sad story, um, especially uh, coming in during the holiday season when people are supposed to be uh, behave well towards each other. Our guest in this half hour was Deborah Weinstein, Executive Director of the Coalition of Human Needs. If you want to learn more about the coalition, you can go uh, check them out on Twitter at Coalition HN. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon after these messages. We're going to talk about uh, presidential politics in the second half hour uh, with our guest and our executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere because you'll kick yourself if you miss the second half hour. We'll be back after these messages.
Brad Bannon. It's time for our provocative progressive political panel. Our guest panelist today is our own executive producer and progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. If you want to be part of the roundtable and talk directly to me uh, and to Mark, call us at 888-LESLIE-888-LESLIE. 888-653-7543. We're going to, Mark and I are going to talk about presidential politics. Uh, in particular, we're going to discuss a forum that our good friend Leslie Marshall moderated on Saturday uh, in Iowa for the Teamsters Union, which was a forum for the Democratic presidential candidates. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about uh, impeachment and its uh, relationship to the presidential campaign. Last week, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, called for articles of impeachment against the president. The Speaker said, The president abused his power for his own personal political benefit at the expense of our national security. Donald Trump's removal from office is really a three-step process. The House of Representatives will impeach or indict the president. The Senate will try him. And then voters acting as the court of last resort will hear Donald Trump's case on appeal and decide whether he will remain in, in the White House. For easy reference, think of the process as an episode of Law & Order. Let's call this episode Law & Order Quid Pro Quo. Donald Trump is the defendant, and Nancy Pelosi is the district attorney. The assistant district attorney, who will, lead, who will be the lead prosecutor, is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Representative Adam Schiff of California. The members of the House of Representatives are the grand jurors who will decide whether to indict the president for abuse of power and bribery. The trial will be in the Senate, where the Chief Justice John Roberts will preside. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is the foreman of the jury, which includes 100 members of the Senate. Act 3 in this drama will have a cast of millions. The appellate court just judges are the American voters. This is the court of public opinion which will ultimately decide if Donald Trump continues to serve as president after January 20th, 2021. Let's bring on Mark now. Uh, Mark, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about uh, the Teamsters Union Forum in Iowa uh, this weekend that uh, our good friend Leslie Mar Marshall moderated uh, and included uh, several of the Democratic presidential candidates. Yeah, so it was uh, a really great uh, experience. I have to say there was uh, so there was Vice President Biden, and this is the order they were on. Uh, and you can actually watch, um, which is on Leslie's social media, uh, as well as going to be posted on our website if you didn't get a chance to catch it. Uh, people can watch the whole thing. Uh, also, it was broadcast on C-SPAN, and they have it on their website. But uh, it was called the Teamsters Presidential Forum, and it was held in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And they had Vice President Biden, uh, Senators Cory Booker, uh, Amy Klobuchar and Bernie Sanders, as well as Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Tom Steyer. Now, um, they mainly were focusing on issues related to organized labor and the way that they came about their questions 
was they polled uh, directly and also through different uh, questionnaires the members, uh, which is 1.3 million, 1.3 million uh, Teamster members uh, around the United States of America about what issues were most important to them. And then they had the moderators ask questions some of the questions, but they also had members of the audience who were members of the Teamsters as well as uh, members who were um, recorded uh, video questions, and they were submitted that way. And each uh, candidate had roughly about 20 to 30 minutes. And I also was able to uh, interview some of them myself offstage, uh, including Senators Klobuchar and Booker, as well as Tom Steyer. And that was separate from the forum and also dealt with issues that were not strictly related to uh, to labor. And Leslie uh, was one of the moderators, along with uh, a man named Art Cullen, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning a newspaper uh, reporter for a newspaper in Iowa called the the Storm Lake uh, Tribune. Okay, well, let's uh, to give our listeners a flavor of it. We have a clip from former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, let's play that, and then we can talk about it. Vice President Biden, we are in a room full of Teamsters, and I, I want that. you to tell all of them here and all of them watching why they should vote for you, but no malarkey. No malarkey. I'll tell you why. I, oh, first of all, I should thank you. The only reason I'm sitting here is in 1972, I was losing in the polls the Sunday before the election. The newspaper went on strike. There was a, the printers, you guys, they had put in a gigantic insert in the Sunday paper to go out on the Republican Party. You guys wouldn't cross the picket line, and I won by 3,100 votes. So if you think I don't like secondary pickets, you're wrong. Okay. Anyway, the reason is, folks, look, uh, I am, as my grandfather would say, labor from belt buckle to shoe sole. Where I come from, I understand very basic question, a, ba- a basic notion. Wall Street didn't build the United States of America. The middle class built it, and unions built the middle class. Unions. You can clap, man. You may be for somebody else, but I'm the real deal. And all kidding aside, and look, the NLRB, when it was passed, it didn't say there could be labor. It said the government should promote labor unions for a simple, basic reason. When you're strong, when labor, you're the only one that can keep the barbarians at the gate. Not a joke. They only understand power. Power. Countervailing power. And the only, and you guys have been getting killed, organized labor. We're down to 6%. When I started off as a United States Senator, it 34% of all of the organized, all people working that were part of organized labor. And there's been a war on labor's house for the last... 30 years. That was uh, former Vice President Jill Biden. A couple of things about that clip, Mark. Uh, First of all, uh, this is an important audience uh, in Iowa and other places. Uh, Back in 2016, uh, if you looked at the exit polls uh, from uh, white union members, Uh, They basically, as many of them, voted for Donald Trump uh, as voted for Hillary Clinton. 
And if Democrats are going to uh, win back the White House and especially the electoral votes of places like um, Iowa uh, and Michigan and Ohio and Wisconsin, they're going to have to do a lot better among union members uh, than Hillary Clinton did in 2016. Uh, How did the uh, members there uh, respond to Joe Biden? I thought the reaction was really strong. And to back up a minute to a point you just made, Brad, about the importance of labor to the Democratic, the eventual Democratic nominee uh, for president in 2020, who's going to be going up against uh, Donald Trump. I think that that was something that was on full display, the importance of labor, because it was something that um, the head of the Teamsters, uh, President James P. Hoffa, uh, said to Leslie in an interview that's going to be up on her website later today, uh, where he said, you know, I think that they're not going to make the same mistake they did last time about taking Teamster members for granted without focusing on issues that are important to labor. And he said the other thing is Teamsters vote in very high numbers. So it's a demographic that is not only important to the election, but also important to building up uh, the economy in the workforce. So I think that was a, a very spot on point by you, Brad, that was also brought up at the forum. And then uh, Vice President Biden, I thought, got a, a really good, strong reception. Uh, he seemed to be uh, well, uh, well taken in by a lot of the members. I, I was behind the crowd, um, which was about 700 people. And uh, I got to really kind of see how they were reacting and, and hear like their applause to certain things. And it seemed like he got um, one of the better reactions of the day. And, uh, and that was, it was actually, uh, I thought he had a little bit of um, uh, a challenge getting them to do so to pull back the curtain a little bit. He was delayed by about 10 to 15 minutes and he was actually the first candidate to lead off the forum. So, you know, people get antsy, they're waiting, you know, so it might've left, you know, a sour taste in somebody's mouth if they were just like, Oh, you know, I'm sitting here waiting. But I thought that, uh, he seemed to get them on his side pretty quickly. And, uh, he got one of the stronger reactions, uh, of the six candidates who were up there. So that was another thing that I, I noticed. And he was very focused on, the the labor issues where some candidates kind of use them to springboard off into broader issues. He stayed focused like a laser, I thought, right on the issues that were brought up most by the members who filled out the questionnaire, which uh, I was told were uh, protecting pensions, which is a huge issue for Teamsters because that's um, what a lot of them have earned as part of their jobs. That's part of their benefits is they're one of the few groups of Americans left who still get pensions or have have earned pensions and a lot of them have retired having worked their entire career and giving up certain health care benefits and things like that in exchange to earn that pension. And now that they're retired, thanks to uh, laws that have been written and changed since some of them retired, their pensions were put into funds that were not kept uh, stable. They were riskier funds. And now uh, there's a a big problem in the United States, actually, for different uh, unions and other organizations about the pension money essentially not being there when it's supposed to be. So they're talking about that and also how to protect future pensions. And then the other issue that was really big was the right to collective bargaining, which is uh, has, as uh, Vice President Biden uh, put it, has been under attack for 30 years, but especially, I would say, over uh, the past um, 
probably probably 11 years. Uh, you've seen a lot of Supreme Court decisions like Citizens United and the Janus decision, uh, which have really uh, put the vice grips on unions. So those were two issues he focused on uh, very, uh, I would say, almost almost solely, but he also did talk about, as you heard a little bit, the general worry and of, of labor unions decreasing and what that's what that means for the workforce. Okay, uh, let's go to break now, uh, and uh, when we come back, maybe we'll uh, hear from Mayor Pete. Uh, but anyway, we're going to go to break now, uh, but when we finish, we'll be right back with more with our guest, executive producer Mark Romaldi, and of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hang in there. We're, we'll be right back. I also know what we're up against as a country in the sense of the need to come together. Uh, I'm running not only to bring an end to the current presidency, but to launch the era that's going to come next. If you just stop and picture what it's actually going to be like the first day that the sun comes up and Donald Trump is no longer the president of the United States, it's a, it's a good picture. We're looking forward to that day. We're ready for that day, but think about what it'll actually be like. Think about how divided our country will be, even more torn up over politics than we are right now. That means we're going to need a president who can solve big problems to empower workers and enhance the life of this country and prepare us for the future, and do it in a way that actually starts healing and unifying this country rather than further polarizing it. I am running to be that president because that's what we're going to need from the White House come January 2021. That, of course, was uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, the uh, mayor of uh, Fort Wayne, excuse me, uh, South Bend, Indiana. Uh, our guest in this half hour on the provocative progressive political panel is our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. And that clip was from a uh, forum sponsored by the Teamsters Union held in Iowa on Saturday uh, that our good friend Leslie Marshall was the moderator. Uh, Mark, how did, the, uh, how did the Teamsters react to Mayor Pete? I actually think um, from and I was back and forth because I would I would be watching. And then if they got one of the candidates off in the second press room available, I would run over with uh, two reporters, one actually from The Guardian and one from uh, the Storm Lake Union, the, the Iowa newspaper, and then conduct the interviews. But I was I was in the room for most of the speeches, but just as kind of a, a heads up to. Uh, folks as kind of a behind the scenes. Uh, but I was there for a majority of Mayor Pete's uh, speech and including the end when he finished. And I, to my um, perception where I was, where I was standing, which could really take in the whole room, he got the best reaction when he finished of any of the candidates. Uh, and I thought he was definitely the smoothest speaker. You know, I've noticed that some people have compared his style to that of President Obama, um, you know, especially when he was kind of starting off back in 07, gaining the national scene. And I did see some of the similarities of how uh, he is very good at speaking. I would say he probably um, was the best of the six candidates, and it was the first time I've seen um, – 
all of them uh, in person aside from Senator Sanders. So um, that was something that uh, I definitely noticed. Um, and he, he made some good comparisons. He smartly talked about, uh, you know, how South Bend, Indiana was not uh, that different and not that far away from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where we were. And he talked about the different um, working class people uh, that have a stake in the game. And uh, I thought he definitely connected with the audience really well. Yeah, it's it's always seemed to me now, uh, last time I checked, uh, Mayor Pete was actually in first place in the polls in the uh, Democratic caucuses in Iowa. Uh, so he's been a, a big hit. Uh, and he's also doing fairly well in New Hampshire, too. Now, it's one of the it always struck me that one of the things about his success so far, and he has been successful so far, seems to me he's pushed himself into the first tier of Democratic presidential candidates, along with Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, is that he's the un-Trump. Uh, he's young. Uh, he's in a uh, he is a veteran of uh, service in a uh, combat zone. Uh, in uh, in uh, Afghanistan, and he's also a Rhodes Scholar. Was Rhodes Scholar, so he's to me he's he's the untrump, and also you know he has cut himself a distinctive profile in in a Democratic presidential primary. If you look at the uh, four candidates that I'd consider in the first tier. Uh, Senators Sanders, Warren, uh, Joe Biden, and Mayor Pete, uh, the three other frontrunners are all uh, veterans of the United States Senate and in their 70s. And here you have Mayor Pete, uh, whose political experience uh, is basically being mayor of a small city in Indiana uh, and also being only 37 years old. Uh, so he's a great contrast to Donald Trump, and he's also a great contrast to the other three major candidates, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, and Joe Biden. Uh, we also... Uh, so they they reacted well to Mayor Pete. Um, let, let's uh, let's uh, try this. Uh, did there's let's go back to Joe Biden uh, for a minute here. Um, Joe Biden has often a lot of people see him as the perfect candidate. Uh, to bring back the union members, especially in the Midwest, many of whom voted for Donald Trump uh, in 2016. What do you think? Do you think uh, you said they reacted very well to both Mayor Pete and to Joe Biden? Uh, Do you think both of them would be good candidates to help bring back the kind of people that are at that forum on Saturday? I do. I think, um, you know, it was interesting talking with some members and, uh, you know, I will uh, I'll make I'll keep my answer brief because I know we're in the last minute here. But I think the two of them um, seem to have really good reactions from the members. And I think they would have a very good chance at recapturing a lot of those members. And I also think the other factor is folks have now seen Donald Trump as president and the fact that he's not addressing all these different labor issues that he said he was going to. And he 
he's also had an effect that's really hurt unions by supporting the Janus decision, which basically makes it so there's free riders who don't pay union dues but get the benefits of union members, which basically just weakens unions. So I think both of those factors are going to be at play here. Okay, and if our listeners want to know more, they can go to uh, the Leslie Mo- uh, Marshall Show website and uh, check some of these clips out for themselves. That is right, sir. You got it. Okay, well, that's all we got for today. Uh, thanks to my guest, Deborah Weinstein from the Coalition on Human Needs, and, of course, executive producer Mark Grimaldi. Tune in next week for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm here every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. Unless, of course, Donald Trump declares martial law. Then I'm in big trouble and so a lot of other people. I'll talk to you next Monday. Have a good week.